sacred rituals, and a cosmic community to enchant your mystical life. This podcast feels like soulful conversations by the fire and under the desert stars. As if you are hanging with your best friends, talking about purpose, the cosmos, and the divine journey we are all on. My name is Anna Alic, and this is the Topanga Moon Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm so excited that you're listening and that you're here. Um, it's been a really interesting time. I feel like a lot has happened in a week, but nothing really crazy to report. It's just all these things that are percolating and developing, and I will speak on all of it once the time is right. But I'm really feeling this full moon that's happening this weekend, uh, the 14th. At, um, yeah, it's the harvest moon. It's my favorite full moon, harvest moon, Neil Young, favorite song. <laughs> so it's, it's feeling like at this time, things are really falling apart. That's not serving me specifically in a way. Uh, I don't know if anyone else is feeling that, but yeah, it's a little bit, unnerving and uneasy and uncomfortable because there's so much growth happening in this time and it's being expanded by the energy of this full moon that's coming up and yeah I'm just kind of holding on and and going for the ride there's been some really cool um like writing opportunities coming in and photography opportunities styling opportunities and other things that feel like it's slowing down or kind of pushing me out. So we'll see. I'll have more updates once everything kind of settles and I know what's happening with my life. <laughs> but I'm I'm just, I'm in it. I'm sticking to um, my desires and my goals and I'm not letting this um, just unknowing stop me. So that's been a really beautiful space to navigate. So today on the podcast, I'm really excited because I have my sister. So my sister who lives in California, in LA, she moved out there a couple years ago. So I don't see her that often anymore. But um, yeah, we're, we're only a year apart. So we've always been super close and we grew up and had all the same experiences and it's such an interesting dynamic when you've really been with someone your whole life and especially in those formative years and sharing basically all of that together. So I'm really excited to have her on the podcast. She is an amazing and incredible writer and we'll get into some of her work, but a lot of this episode is based on her huge healing journey this year and it really parallels with a lot of other conversations I've had with people for some reason 2019 is just a huge year of expansion and growth and sometimes it's brought upon you and you're kind of forced into that growth in a way so you know she talks about this kind of head pain condition that she had all year and all the different things that she did to to heal it and come on the other side of it and then we talk about her writing and words as magic and words kind of creating this life for us and so many other beautiful stories and I really really love this episode and I'm so excited for you to hear it so I hope you enjoy this episode with Nada Alich. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm super excited today because I have a very special, special, special guest <laughs> with me today. Um, I have my sister on the podcast, Nada Alic, or Nada Alec, however you want to call her. 
Um, she lives in California, so I don't see her that often unless I'm traveling there or she's coming back home. And she just came out for a wedding this weekend, so I thought this was the perfect opportunity to have her on the podcast because she is an extremely talented writer. She has a zine out called Future You, and she's done tons of writings for many publications, a lot in the music sphere. She has a very, um, successful career life and we're going to talk about it today but thank you for coming on the podcast sister thank you so much anna um (laughs) i feel honored to be here (laughs) in our home yes in our home that we don't live in um yeah this makes me think of when we were little and we had our own radio show do you remember that it was on the barbie um recorder do you remember our radio show i do (laughs) Yes, I remember it was in our basement and there was our mascot was like this stuffed lamb or <laughs> yes. something. Um, yeah. I have no idea what we talked about, but I'm sure it was incredible. <laughs> we were just like ahead of the time, right? We were just the first podcast. It's the first podcast ever recorded on a Barbie uh, recorder. I don't know what happened to those tracks, but I would love to hear them because they're probably really really interesting we're creative kids though Mm -hmm. I feel like when you're not growing up in the age of social media or a lot of technology really like you have to be creative and I think that's a huge reason why we've both pursued such creative you know um, careers and are drawn to the arts and are always surrounded by artists and wanting to create different projects because that's what we did our whole lives to just, you know, entertain ourselves and basically imagine our own, you know, um, life. And we just, that's how we had fun, you know, and we're continuously doing that. Um, but yeah, I am going to get into your writing, but I think a huge theme that's been going on with you this year and really With a lot of people that I've been talking to, especially in the last podcast episode, um, this year, 2019, for whatever reason, and I think it has to do with some sort of paradigm shift or whatever, and we'll get into that, but there's this um, just, you know, direction of going into healing and um, cultivating your own life and living the best life and uh, finding different healing modalities. So I want to hear from you kind of about this year for you and that whole healing journey and how it started and like what you kind of tapped into and the things that you did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really didn't go into this year anticipating that it was going to be about healing. I quit my job last September with just this loose idea that I wanted to focus more on writing and, you know, there were a lot of other reasons. I was really burnt out. I was, I had always kind of had, you know, a full-time job and they were always creative, but I felt stifled and I felt like I wasn't really being seen and I couldn't be my authentic self, which I think a lot of people feel, you know, in more corporate environments. Um, but I always felt particularly like an outsider. Like I would just sit in boardrooms and be like everyone else is into this. And I felt like estranged from my body. Like I just felt like this is not where I'm supposed to be. But I didn't really know where else I was supposed to be. I just knew that I needed to get out of it. So I didn't have a plan. And um, this also all coalesced with moving in with my boyfriend who bought a house at the exact same time. So, you know, it was really... um, you know, it was like, it was really a turning point for me because I had this pretty high status job where people respected me and I kind of, I was in a management position. And then I also had my apartment in LA, which to me provided me with so much autonomy. Mm -hmm. And those two things I felt like were sort of anchor points for who I was in the world and how people saw me. Mm -hmm. And suddenly on my own volition, I really removed those two um, from my life. And here I was, I didn't have a job. I moved in with my boyfriend, which was wonderful, but I didn't anticipate how vulnerable I would feel without 
having a space to claim for my own. And at the time, I didn't realize that this is what I was lacking. I didn't really have the language for what was happening to me. I just knew that I felt anxious Mm. and um, depressed. And my kind of go-to for that is really just to always pull myself up from my bootstraps and uh, be harder on myself and really focus on like, you know, self-improvement rather than kind of checking in with myself to, to be like, Hey, but why am I feeling this way? It was, um, I didn't allow myself that. I just kept, I just kept going and pushing myself. Um, and I think, I mean, knowing you and growing up with you my whole life, you are such an ambitious person and you can get things done. You know what I mean? You've been independent You've always been like striving for things and are determined and you kind of with that attitude and that, you know, strength, like you were always able to create like these impossible things for yourself Mm -hmm. and you've always kind of like had that as like that's who you are, you know, and especially with the whole job thing and having that title, it's like when we have these labels on ourselves – that we project out to the people in our community and stuff and we take all that away from ourselves and that independence, it's it's like, then who am I now? Now I have to actually go in and say like, okay, like who am I without this title? Who am I without this space or, you know, this idea of being that, you know, independent woman making her way in California and kind of defying all odds like that. So I think it's such an interesting point where, you know, partly you chose that, but at the same time it was just happening to you where that's where your life was leading, where all those things were stripped away because it was kind of like a, no, now now is the point where you're getting to a different level, so you have to look at yourself and look inside. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like that kind of was what was happening for you? Yeah. I mean, one of my Enneagram numbers is four, so I'm an achiever. And I really don't think that I have any self-worth if I'm not achieving things. Mm, And so it was interesting how I had kind of intentionally put myself in a position really not to achieve. And I think I did that for a number of reasons. I think I was really wounded by, you know, living such a stressful life for so long that felt like it wasn't on my own terms at all. Um, And so my instinct was to protect myself but protecting myself meant withdrawing from a community and mm-hmm. sort of being on my own. I just thought that's what I need. I need solitude and I need to just remove myself from so many of these situations that made me feel uncomfortable. But I guess I didn't realize that that's not what I needed. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I needed a balance and I didn't get that. I kind of went the pendulum swung in the extreme other direction. Mm-hmm. And so what happened for me was I started to get these really weird uh, sort of pains in the back of my head. It really started with um, right when I quit my job, I I started hearing my heartbeat in my ears, which is not a good sign. Um, (laughs) And uh, I went into a panic because it was the first time that something was happening to me that I felt like I had no control over and Mm -hmm. I wasn't sure why it was happening. So I did the thing that everyone does, which I went to, you know, specialists. I got tests. I went to so many different doctors. And what I was focusing on was the symptom that was happening to me. And I didn't sit with why it was happening or what could be causing it maybe emotionally because it lined up so perfectly with this big transition in my life. But I was convinced that it was medical and at the time understood any medical ailment to be completely separate from my emotional state, just Mm -hmm. thinking it was something I needed to fix. And I was hitting a wall because all of my tests came back fine. And that, um, I think really scared me. It demoralized me even more because Mm -hmm. I thought, okay, well, you know, now I'm not even in my own body. I don't recognize it. It's not serving me. Mm-hmm. But what I realized was I wasn't serving myself. Mm-hmm. So it was trying to send me a message. And it took me months to realize that. I mean, 
I would just live in fear. And it's got this domino effect, I think, when you aren't listening to yourself. That message will just get louder. Mm-hmm. And it will get louder until it just breaks you. And you sort of have to be like, all right, I have to find a new approach because me thinking that I'm broken has not been working. Maybe there's another alternative way. And so mm-hmm. when I you know, went to all of the Western doctors and they all really weren't listening to me, I didn't believe me. Um, it cost so much money for no, no reason. Um, wasn't getting anywhere. So I started trying out different alternative healing modalities. And living in LA, there is no shortage of that. So (laughs) yeah, it's like the Mecca. Yeah. I was in the land of healers. (laughs) You want a healer? There's one around every corner. (laughs) Yeah. And I would get recommendations. And because I was in such a desperate state, there's nothing more, you know, satisfying than sitting across from someone and them telling you, I have the answers, I will heal you. Mm -hmm. But I also think that there's a danger to that. And so I did everything from acupuncture, cranial sacral therapy. I did body healing work. I did something called neurosoma with a shaman. Um, What else? Was the one with the shaman the one that said that you she couldn't work with you? No. That, okay. That was the that. body healer. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was absurd. Well, it was a body healer that, you know, a ton of my friends had gone to and they had, had really good results with her. She sort of does a variety of different modalities from Reiki to um, – kind of communing with dead relatives and speaking to spirit guides and a bunch of other stuff that I had no idea what she was doing to me. But like, um, I went, um, upon, you know, recommendation from all my friends who were like, I can't even explain what she does, but she like totally healed me. And so I was like, great. No one has healed me yet. (laughs) I'm going to do this. And I got to her space and I kind of gave her the rundown of, of, of what I was dealing with. And, you know, I was really kind of medical with it. I was like, there's this tension in the back of my head. It could be my blood vessels that it might be a fistula. I don't know if it's like muscular or I don't know if like, I'm going to have an aneurysm. Nobody knows. And, you know, help me. And so I lied down on the table. She used like a tuning fork and Reiki and, you know, she would kind of hover over different areas of my body and tell me where I had like blockages of, you know, um, generational trauma and calling in, you know, my grandmother on my, my dad's side and, and sort of hearing her, she would tap on my forearm and write notes and sometimes would talk to me about what she was doing. And, you know, I think I just had to be open-minded and go with it. Because a part of me was like, mm, I don't know about this, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to be open-minded. And so then I was crying, you know. I think anybody who sits with me and is present with me with my pain, it's just such a generous act. Mm. And um, it'll just make me cry. So after it was done – so she she did say that, you know, our grandmother had a lot of trauma that – um, had been passed down to us. Yeah, and I was in a energy healing session the week before you, mm-hmm. and that was the exact same thing that came through to me. And right. remember, we were like talking. We were like, these are the exact parallels. Mm-hmm. Like we, it was the same thing. Like grandmother, generational trauma, all that kind of stuff, right. which is just such a weird, I guess, coincidence. But it's not a coincidence, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like something that kind of message really needed to come through, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. No. And I thought that was really profound finding out that you had a similar reading. Yeah. But then once I got up from the table, she said, you know, I've never had to tell anybody this before, but I can never work with you again. (laughs) You know, and that was such a blow to me because I thought, do I have like the worst energy or something, you know? And she really didn't, she said, you know, I can recommend, other healers that I think might suit your needs better. Um, But she really didn't kind of elaborate why. And so I left and I was just bawling my eyes out, driving, talking to my boyfriend on the phone, being like, you know, 
I have the worst energy. She can't even work with me. Um, but she was really kind. She followed up with me for like two weeks afterwards, texting me saying, you know, I talked to my teacher. I'm trying to figure out why I got the message that I can't work with you. And she was really stressing somatic therapy. Mm. And so from what I understand, that's really kind of like body trauma. Where is trauma being held in your body Mm -hmm. and letting your body speak to that? Mm -hmm. And I didn't end up going with her somatic therapist just because at that point I had spent so much money. Mm -hmm. And I was demoralized, you know, like when you get rejected by somebody who's in a space that's meant to heal you. I think that's just really difficult to feel vulnerable again with the new healer. So I took a break, but then um, found my way to this woman who does neurosoma, which is somatic. <clears throat> and really, um, it's, a, it's kind of a type of chiropractic work where, I don't know if this is boring, but um, your muscles can go spastic and um, lactic acid will crystallize in your muscles and they're unable to massage it out they really have to break up lactic acid acid crystals to break up these muscles and there's a there's a means to do that that is beyond massage so you know I went to her her place several times and she did it and I was starting to feel improvements from that and does that involve some sort of like Reiki or energy work at the same time as she's breaking down in a physical way Is there a combination there? Yeah. I mean, there was one time that she asked if she could do a ceremony for me, which involved Ayurvedic essential oils being poured over my head and all my hair, which like, it was hilarious. I had (laughs) the the oiliest hair, like I was just dripping down my back when I was driving home. And I was like, this is my life now, I guess. I just, (laughs) just like living an LA life. It's normal. Guinea pig for different healers. But, um, I think it was just, you know, a combination of, again, her presence. I think that's incredibly healing when somebody sits with you and kind of whatever muscular stuff, you know, she was doing was helpful. And I started to see for the first time a little bit of relief. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was really promising. But then again, it would come back. It would come back in like these weird one-off days where I just was in bed and that was really hard but if I trace it back it was sort of orbiting around some heavy news that I would get Mm, and so I was kind of making this connection that like I think that this is more stress-based than I realize yeah yeah so then and you're saying orbiting around is that mean like a future something happening coming into you is that what is that what it was well, I a friend of mine um, probably a couple months ago passed away, mm-hmm. and it was I think a day or two before I was flying out for his funeral. I was just sort of – and it hadn't hit me yet. I really hadn't processed it yet because I was still in shock, but I think my body was processing it or mm-hmm. something. And so yeah. I was just – I was so frustrated because I had so much to do that day, but I couldn't. My body was like, nope, you're in bed. And um, I think I just really learned to have reverence for my body and listen to it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I would say the last couple of months have been so wildly healing for me. Basically, all my symptoms are gone now Mm -hmm. and have alleviated. And I realized it was because I started doing the work on myself, Mm -hmm. finally. Yeah, instead of like the spiritual bypass of... Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes when we do seek out so many different modalities and healers, it's like we want that person to do whatever they need to do to take it all away mm-hmm. instead of actually going in and being your own healer, meaning doing the work right. and finding the causes. And going through to those like painful areas that we just want to bypass because we don't want to like, you know, bring it up again or anything like that. But it's almost like even just that acknowledgement alone, which means you don't have to like fixate on the trauma or anything like that, but just the acknowledgement alone is such a freeing experience. And also, you know, putting that, um, the healing back into your own hands, mm-hmm. which I think is such a, is such an important key to anybody's, you know, journey with it. 
you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I do think it's very disempowering when someone says, take these supplements. These are the things Mm -hmm. that will Mm -hmm. heal you because suddenly you're in the position of being a patient instead of being your own doctor, you know? Um, and it took me a while. I think it was just sort of like recognizing, oh, like I, I've spent so many months going to people saying this is my problem and then either not having a solution for me or having a solution that just didn't work mm-hmm. that I had to come back to myself and just be like, okay, it's up to me now. Yeah. So, and I had also been like, you know, listening to different podcasts about these things or reading different books about these things. And so... I think the message was slowly kind of like seeping into me that mm-hmm. I was getting like these little pings from the universe, like you're you're in the right direction, keep going, you know. Yeah. And that was I think you can feel that when when um yeah, what the universe I think is trying to tell you if you pay enough attention to it. And it's also creating that space to hear it. Because sometimes we don't um we're busying ourselves with so many things that we don't actually like create that energetic space to be like what are the messages that want to come in right now Mm -hmm. you know sometimes you can't even like hear yourself but um this also led you to kind of like this serendipitous retreat that you were just on Mm -hmm. like it really kind of just came to you Mm -hmm. it like can you talk a little bit about that that experience and the retreat and even like how it came to you because I think it's like such a beautiful example of like a miracle being presented to you yeah well you know I had really withdrawn this past year and isolated myself Mm -hmm. and I didn't know that I was so starved for community and connection Mm -hmm. and once I once I was open to it it was so wild, like what the universe presented me with. Like I couldn't have anticipated all of this happening to me, you know? Um, And I feel like it was such a gift. So even before getting this retreat opportunity, I I was sort of at this other writer's residency, which, you know, they all sort of have this kind of similar through line of, Mm -hmm. I came together with people who are experiencing trauma and who are processing their trauma. Mm -hmm. And the residency that I was on was, it was half fiction, but it was also half memoir. And a lot of people who write memoir have gone through a lot of trauma. And it was so humbling to me to hear their stories Mm. and to connect with them. Um, You spend so much time in your own head, especially as a writer, um, especially if you're a freelancer and you're alone. um, You don't realize how badly you need to hear other people's stories Mm. and you need to be with other people. And so you know, I think the residency I almost looked at as a warm up to what was really the work that I was really about to do. It felt like a glimpse into like, like, okay, are you ready to sort of start interrogating your own trauma, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, so I did the residency in Banff for two weeks, which was incredible. And then I came back for a few days. I had the opportunity to go to this retreat called Onsite in Nashville and it sort of happened because I was a couple months prior at the friend that I had mentioned, his funeral. Um, and a few of us were just hanging out at a house afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I got to talking with um, this woman, Ruthie Lindsay, who is incredible. Um, her story is amazing. And she really just talked to me about how mm-hmm. she was able to heal. She has chronic pain, which is unimaginable and unbearable her story is unbelievable like I've been following her for years yeah yeah. and she was bedridden for seven years you know and now if you see her she's just like the light in the room like she's just the most energetic Mm -hmm. beautiful person um and you know I'm not one to like be the center of attention. So at this party, she kind of zeroed in on me and cornered me for like a long time. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I felt like, do you want to leave? I, I, you know, like I don't, but no, she just kept just pouring into me all of these words that I think I needed to hear about what, what I was going through. Because at the time still, this was like June, mm-hmm. I hadn't really looked at it in the way that I needed to. So 
you know, that happened. We connected. That was cool. Didn't think much of it. And our mutual friend, Kenny, who is like one of my oldest friends, um, he later asked me if I wanted to go to onsite, which um, is a therapy retreat. And Ruthie Lindsay is really involved sort of in the leadership there. And once a year gets to bring a group of creatives out. And I think because I had met her and Kenny is a good friend of mine, I was asked to come and I, you know, said yes immediately and like completely changed my schedule to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and on site, you know, I'm still sort of processing it because I just came back like two days ago. Yeah. <laughs> you came back and went straight to a wedding. <laughs> yeah. Just... Like directly from the airport to yeah. like see my entire family and it was a lot. But um, yeah. it was so life-changing and mm. I don't mean to be hyperbolic about it, but I truly like – I can't even describe the real change that I saw happen in myself and in other people. Um you know, I had a few friends go to onsite before. They have a ton of different programs. They have couples counseling. They have, you know, like 30-day intensives. This one was kind of an accelerated course, really focusing on trauma. And friends of mine would always say, you know, there's life before onsite and then there's life after onsite. And I would always wow. just be like, all right, sure. You know, I'm a bit skeptical. But then I went and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> I like – fully drank the Kool-Aid of this place. Like it was so transformative Mm -hmm. and the way that they designed it was so thoughtful and the therapists that they have there are best in class. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't, they they take therapy and they make it an art form. It was so inspiring to me to be there. So it was a 30 different creatives from all over, many of whom had done the program before and knew each other. Um, and it was really a combination of, you know, think of like the best TED Talk style lectures you've mm-hmm. ever heard about every, you know, every topic from, you know, trauma, um, codependency, narcissism, grief, um, the seven essential rights of children. Like I really mm-hmm. feel like if anybody is a parent or wants to be a parent, this program just arms you mm. with so so many tools yeah. to um, be just like the most loving parent so that your child doesn't have to experience the trauma that many of us yeah. inherit, you know. And every child will – every person has trauma. Yeah. You can't go through this life unscathed, but it doesn't have to debilitate you mm. and create more isolation in you there are ways to heal yourself from it. Yeah. It's almost like a way to also like close that loop. Like we have this constant loop going on and we're replaying the same um, limiting beliefs and stories. And when you get to go to an experience like that and actually look at these stories that you're created and be able to start to shift them, like that's possible for everybody. Mm -hmm. And like you said, like, everybody has some sort of their own version of their own trauma but it's like do you want to you know kind of live the rest of your life in those same cycles Mm. or you there's a there's a way to um kind of go through it and really start to change those stories not to say that you're going to be now you're cured like everything's fine Mm. because there's going to be different things coming up but a way to have like not let all those old programming just kind of run your life, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, it definitely provided me with a completely different language and framework through which to see myself and my behaviors and my Mm -hmm. relationships. And, you know, I consider myself, like, pretty well-read and an intellectual. But, Mm -hmm. like, hearing these concepts, it was like hearing them for the first time and and they resonated with me so strongly. Mm -hmm. You know, just the idea that, like, as humans, we – inherently are meant to connect Mm, but when trauma happens we go from connect to protect yeah and I realized I was living my life every day in protection mode and I wasn't able to connect and that was really really powerful for me um you know and and just talking about really kind of diving deep into what is that internal voice saying and where can you trace that back to in your life 
the messages that you received that told you you are not worthy, mm. that you are not enough, um, that you are not safe, you know. And and the most humbling thing is realizing that like everyone yeah. has that internal narrative, yeah. you know. Like even the most confident seeming people have that voice, and that voice is actually a survival mechanism. So it was designed to help keep you safe. But in our world, it has gone haywire mm-hmm. and it is no longer serving us. Yeah. So if you follow any fear that you have or any wall that you have up, if you really follow that down, okay, because why? Because why? Okay, because I will be alone and because I, if I'm alone, then I will die. And children don't realize that that's the line of rationale that they have, but mm-hmm. they... Um, intuit that so you know if you can't see your mother on the playground for a minute you will panic because your mother is your lifeline Mm. and then you think if I'm alone I will die and this very kind of you know primitive concept which we now as understand as adults doesn't apply we can take care of ourselves um it still follows us Mm -hmm. because the thing I learned that was the most interesting was that the limbic um, system of the brain. It's located in the back of your head. It stores all of your trauma and it doesn't abide by the construct of time. Mm -hmm. So it will continue to play out your trauma in a loop until you process your trauma. And the way that you process your trauma is through grief and grieving your trauma, which means experiencing your feelings, Mm -hmm. allowing yourself to cry. If you don't do that, they will continue to go unprocessed and they will run your life. And so if you really look at the layers that you've built up around you, those were all coping mechanisms to help keep you safe because you thought if you didn't have them, you would be unsafe, but the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. And so you can really trace it back to, you know, some memories from childhood, whether it's, being vulnerable and, you know, trying to open yourself up to someone and then feeling rejected. Maybe a parent sort of didn't have time for you, but you really wanted to show them something that you had just created. And they said, you know, leave me alone or some other time, or that's nice. You will internalize that as I am not allowed to show my feelings. Mm -hmm. I am not worthy and I am a burden So I will keep all of this to myself in order to not rock the boat. Yeah. And then you take that with you your entire life because no one is rewriting that script for you. Yeah. So a lot of the retreat is really identifying the script that you're running in your head and how to rewrite it. Yeah. And I think it's such a powerful thing to be given the tools to rewrite it. You know, like it's one thing to be like, okay, I know – kind of those memories or those like shortcomings or whatever but when you really are given um you know the space to be able to change that for yourself Mm -hmm. and it's so interesting because then you came back and we were talking about our our stories together you know and we we might have experienced something the same way but our response to it was so different Mm -hmm. you know like for me without getting into like details, it, w- it was just like I became unemotional mm-hmm. and became like I have to be the strong one. I have to be, you know what I mean, not show any emotion, not process any emotion. And that is still to this day something that I'm like constantly and right now specifically really working through of like because for me sharing my emotion is, is fear, mm-hmm. you know. But that's like the way that we need to connect with people, mm-hmm. you know. So it's like I have this connection shortcoming because I'm not able to process and express my emotions to other people. Mm-hmm. And that's like a huge thing. And But yeah, it's so it's so wild because like, yeah, we went through, you know, similar things. And then – but we just like – we present them in the world in such a different way. Mm-hmm. And that is also a testament to like 
people can be processing something in a completely different way, regardless of what they went through, regardless of mm. if it seems like it's an extreme thing or a little thing. Right. Because the way that we process it within our own selves can be so different, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the thing that they really wanted us to, to know was that not to compare trauma because mm. I heard some some stories that were it's like how do you even come out of that alive you know like the most unbearable suffering that people have experienced but that doesn't take away from my trauma because at the end of the day it's how your brain is processing these experiences that you're having Mm -hmm. and what kind of lasting effect that will have on you you know and I think being a kid my response was really you know I would never allow someone to overpower me, specifically men. I just decided Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't tolerate the alpha male. Yeah. And I, every man that I've dated has been, relatively speaking, like respectful towards women and a peer and an ally to me. Um, And whenever I come across an alpha male, you know, I've worked in advertising and other professional spaces. I just want to dominate them, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I really resonate with strong women like, you know, like Chelsea Handler. She's like, I don't give a fuck. Like, yeah. I'm going to dominate you. And I just think, yes, that's a powerful thing, but it's also a defense mechanism because mm-hmm. what happens, What you know, what would happen if I allowed – this man to dominate me I would die you know it's just sort of like and it's recognizing those things inside of you and also celebrating them for you know the intention is to protect you but also really trying to connect with your inner child to be Mm -hmm. like when is this appropriate and when do I not need it and when can I put it down you know yeah 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 that's yeah I mean we've talked about that and how I'm kind of the opposite in that sphere of like me wanting to like, you know, conquer and like get the alpha male. Mm. You know what I mean? Like how can I win them over in my own way? Mm -hmm. You know? So I was like, go towards that, which is like so, so interesting. Um, But yeah, that sounds like it's just such an amazing experience that you were able to get and it was just like presented to you. You know what I mean? Like it was just all aligned. It flowed. Mm -hmm. You know that like in those moments or even if you're feeling like a ping to go somewhere and you follow it, it's like so the the universe like being like this is here for you. Mm -hmm. This was always meant to be here for you. Right. So I'm just so curious now because like being a writer and um, you know – the idea of like the alchemy of words and what it means to you to be a writer. You've been a writer since, I mean, we were little kids. Like that's what I've known you as. Like that's what you were always like gifted in. How do you think your writing has, is now going to be transformed through these experiences and, or how has writing really been um, just kind of like a, a confidant in all of these experiences and how has it like affected you and how important it is for you to like be this this person who expresses their um, thoughts and innermost feelings like through the process of writing Mm -hmm. yeah I think my relationship to writing has really changed over the years Mm -hmm. you know like I had always written you know kind of I was a journalism major so I wrote a lot of nonfiction. but um, I remember reading a couple of books when I was like honestly 27 and just thinking oh shit I think I want to try to write fiction, which I hadn't done. And I, you know, sort of felt like such a late bloomer. It's so intimidating to go into a new medium. Um, But I did. And I just sort of naively kind of started writing these short stories. And that was really exciting for me because I had spent so many time, so much of my life um, really advocating for other artists and surrounding Mm. myself with artists. If you want to call them like, expanders but I wasn't able to identify that in myself or have the courage to say you know I'm also creative um so that was sort of my first foray into that and then watching the way in which the universe really rewarded me for that because people became interested in my writing and you know that was so validating for Mm -hmm. me but I still was 
way too fearful of really embodying it. And so for a long time, I would just kind of keep it on the side. And, you know, now sort of taking that plunge of saying, you know, I'm a writer and really focusing on fiction specifically and sort of trying to cultivate that. Mm -hmm. Like I recognize now what I was doing was so ego-based. So interesting. And I was struggling with writer's block and, you know, a real quick like example of when I realized that at onsite actually this week was we did equine therapy, which is mm. with horses. And I'm like really afraid of like giant animals, but I <laughs> like I I touched one, but you know, I was sort of just observing the way that other people were relating because I'm like, well, not there yet. But um there was this exercise where this woman was asked to to walk her horse around the stable just in a circle and horses can really pick up on if you're being authentic and if you're being confident mm. because they are 100% authentic. They don't know any other way to be. Mm. Um, and at one point, you know, she's walking around with this horse and it stops and she is tugging on this horse and this horse will not budge. And horses are extremely powerful. Like you cannot pull a horse And I, for some reason in that moment, I thought, oh my God, that horse is my writing and Mm. I am tugging on it saying, let's go. And it refuses to, of course, because I'm not nourishing it and I want it to do things for me that is not in line with its own authenticity. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why, but that just really stuck with me. And so uh, earlier this year, I found this book, The Artist's Way, which I think everyone should do. And she, um, I think her name is Linda Goodman, is it? Anyway, so look up The Artist's Way. It will change your life, especially if you're creative, um, because it really is essentially what I learned at Onsite. I just didn't realize it at the time. But um, she sort of invented the morning pages, which is the three pages of freehand writing in the morning. Um, and the artist date and each chapter kind of takes you through unpacking why it is that you're afraid of creating mm. because our natural state is to be creative and your inner child is creative, is playful, is generative. Um, but if you have a lot of walls up, you just won't be able to access that. So having a sense of control and perfectionism is in direct conflict with creativity. It's really difficult to have both. So you have to feel safe enough with yourself to create and not be afraid of sucking and not be afraid of, you know, feeling like a failure, just allowing yourself to sort of explore that. And all year I refused. I refused to allow myself to be creative and experimental because I said, oh, you just quit your job to be a writer you are going to be perfect at it Mm -hmm. and you are going to be prolific and you are going to produce. And then my inner child said, yeah, no, like I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm going to be the horse that stands still. And so, you know, this whole journey of having this sort of head condition, which I think is just such a poignant metaphor for, you know, my brain, my head, that's where my pain was, you know, um, leading me back to myself to really reconnect with my inner child. I just feel like now the way that I will approach my writing will be with so much more compassion. And I'm already thinking about, you know, what work I want to sort of write now that I'm equipped with these tools to understand, Mm -hmm. you know, not just myself, but also like how interesting human behavior is. Like, you have to know a lot about people and how they work and what their fears and desires are and what yours are in order to write well. You have to know yourself really well. Mm-hmm. So writing well means living well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Those two are like totally married. And so I think this feels like phase two of my writing where I'm like, all right, I'm going to be honest with myself and I'm just going to see what happens with that. Yeah. It's like now you're given the like freedom to really just be 
vulnerable in that space and just kind of like write what sometimes I, I hear this about you know writers or creatives it's like and Elizabeth Gilbert talks about this in Big Magic it's like ideas flowing through you like you being the vessel for them mm. do you know what I mean but in order to be the vessel you have to be that open channel mm-hmm. and to say okay whatever is going to come out is going to come out and I don't have to always restrict that messaging do you know what I mean mm. like and I think about that with like my script writing or my you know artistic pursuits of like sometimes I'm interested in things and I'm like oh but like that's not the popular thing to be into mm-hmm. and that once again restricts what maybe the thing that I'm into and that I'm really passionate about and that I love and that I just want to share is a thing that I can be the vessel for, you know? And instead, mm-hmm. it's like you're stopping it before it even, like, comes out. And it's so interesting because I wrote this quote down because it just – in that book that I was showing you earlier, um, Light is the New Black, um, I wrote this quote down and I didn't know why. I was just like, I feel like I need to write this quote down for whatever reason – as part of this conversation, even though at the time I was like, this doesn't make any sense to what we're going to talk about, but it was, um, you can only lose what you cling to. And it's like a quote by Buddha. And it's just this idea of like holding on so tightly to this idea of something. And just like you were saying, the horse Mm -hmm. not moving because you're clinging to, you know, Mm -hmm. that idea of like what you want something to be like, Mm -hmm. instead of just letting it all flow and, and being that you know, that vessel. Um, yeah. So I want to kind of quickly, uh, pivot a little bit. Well, before I go into this pivot, I I do want to ask you this question. Do you believe that words hold vibration? Mm. Yes. I think in my experience, I just like can't deny the magic of certain books that I've read Mm. because they're such a mirror back to me. Mm -hmm. And what a, what a more beautiful connective tissue of someone's inner truth to you than their own story that you get to read and that you get to see yourself in. You know, I think that's why I have such deep reverence for words because I think it's sort of like the great connector, you know? Um, And also you can experience it privately and sort of savor it. You know, I think a lot of the time when we're, engaged in conversation with each other at a party or something, we're, we're all wearing our masks, right? And we all know the, how to perform a certain mm-hmm. side of ourselves. But when we're alone in reading, I think we can really sort of just like take it in mm-hmm. and be vulnerable with it without feeling like that reciprocation. I think that's, that's even why I love podcasts is just you kind of get to be this observer and really sort of like think about the ideas that are coming to you without mm-hmm. without feeling like you need to respond immediately, yeah. you know? Let it kind of like percolate in you and let it – and it's so – it is so true. It's like when people are just telling their stories in however way that they're coming about, it's like you don't even need to like hit home certain like, you know, try to inspire people or whatever. Just, just by being and like telling your story, someone's going to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. And you have no idea why, but for whatever reason, it's like – just you opening up to that, you know, experience that you had, someone can be like, oh yeah, I, that's how I felt. Or like, that's what I went through. And like, to me, words are so powerful. The words that we speak, it's like, we're speaking them into existence. I'm, I'm always thinking about my word choice and the words I listen to, the words that I read and how that like, if it goes into my body and how that affects me, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But yeah, just pivoting quickly before we get into the final round of the podcast, Um, you're living in California and uh, I feel like in a way, I mean, this might not have been your languaging at the time, but you kind of manifested your way to California. And Mm -hmm. what does that place mean to you? What does the community of artists mean to you in California? And um, do you think that you were just like, always drawn there because you knew that's kind of where you needed to be or and like how did you um how did you yeah get there Mm -hmm. I yeah I think I think the first time we went to LA was together Mm -hmm. we were like teenagers or something yeah yeah and I remember standing on our friend's balcony being like 
somehow I will live here one day. I just had such a strong mm. resonance with it. Um, you know, and I spent a few years in San Diego, which, you know, was close enough um, in my early 20s, but had to, you know, come back to Toronto and always had it in the back of my mind. And I think in my mid to late 20s, I guess mid 20s, I was living a life that was not authentically mine. Mm -hmm. And there was such a disconnect. Mm -hmm. And so I was living with a boyfriend who, you know, I knew was wonderful, but like was not, we were not connecting. I was, I was working at a job that everyone was telling me like, oh my God, I can't believe like, this is a dream job. Mm -hmm. It wasn't my dream job, but everyone else was like, this is the coolest job. Like you need to stay here. And so I thought, okay, I guess I need to do this thing that I don't want to do, you know? And I did that for like a few years. And I visited my best friend, Andrea, one summer um, in LA. And she was just, she was like, I'm going to find a way to get you to come here. And she would say that all the time, but I was like, I need to have a job. I need to have a visa. I can't just like move to LA. Yeah. And that trip was so magical for me. And it really... It just like sunk in. I was like, I will be here. I will be here very soon. And I don't know how, but I'm going to do it. And so literally the day after that trip, I broke up with my boyfriend of four years, which was really hard because pretty much everyone in my life disagreed with me on that decision mm -hmm. and yeah. also alienated me. Um, people were mad at me for that. My family was like upset, which I was like, all right, well, I'm going to follow my heart, but this is going to be a lonely road, but I just know that I need to do this. And the minute that I did that, it opened up this opportunity for a job in LA because I cleared space in my life and I was moving in the direction that I wanted to do that. So within two months, I was basically living in LA, had a new job, completely started a new life. And I could not have anticipated that but I knew that like my role in that transition was to just say yes and to be open to change even if it was like so scary yeah. and it just that was the first time that I felt like okay I'm in the flow like mm. things are happening for me for a reason and I need to be here yeah. and um yeah LA on an energetic level is just so for me I felt like Toronto, it was really difficult for me to like find community and make friends. Mm -hmm. And in LA, I think because no one is really from LA, everyone's sort of from somewhere else. Mm -hmm. There's a openness and a vulnerability of like, hey, you know, I'm an outsider too, you know, and, and, and everyone is really creative. And so I just connected so strongly with people there. And I really felt like I had a community for the first time in my life in that meant everything for me, you know, like I just felt like such a change, mm -hmm. such a lightness. Um, I, th I think, you know, LA is a place where people have like really big dreams, but then they make them happen, yeah. you know, and there is no one telling you that's silly or that you can't do it. Yeah. You know, and it's know. almost like, oh, the bigger the dreams, the better, you know, and it's true. It's like when you're surrounding yourself with, um, with people in that space, it's like you become, you become the people that you are constantly around, mm -hmm. you know? And if you want to have this kind of like life that you can be this creative and living, you know, that kind of dream life for yourself, it's like you really need to be surrounded by those people who are also doing it and who are supporting you and just kind of being like, yeah, like we're in this too. And you have cultivated such an incredible group of artists. Like so many of your friends are like freaking famous and mm -hmm. like just yeah. doing the most insane things. Like I'm like following them. I'm like, wow, this is crazy. You know what I mean? Um, but, oh, it's our brother just stepping in during our podcast. <laughs> he just likes to pop in yeah, and yeah. say, hey, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, we'll, we'll see you later. We're almost done. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No. Okay, goodbye, Adam. <laughs> smells really good. Yes. Anyways. Um, yeah, so sorry for that interruption. Little brother. Always coming in at the weirdest times. Um, yeah, so you have this incredible community, and I think it was a testament to you having the courage to be like, this doesn't make sense for other people. 
um, but I know something within myself and I'm going to do it anyways. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to do this thing that's scary to me. Even if it's that fear of rejection, you know, and going back to the fears, it's like, I'm going to take this chance because at the end of the day, I'll regret not doing it, mm, yeah. you know? So it, and then it, it brought you to this, this life on purpose, this life that you truly were meant to be there and, um, are now, you know, really thriving in your own way and continuing this journey and have this beautiful new relationship and a beautiful house, which I'm going to go to in a week mm -hmm. <laughs> and take care of. <laughs> um, and eventually I'll be out there, but okay. So yeah, I want to end the podcast with something I like to call cosmic pings. So I'm going to ask you a question or you complete the sentence and whatever that comes to you, you know, off the top of your head. Okay. Okay. So first cosmic ping is the the music or the artist that I listen to the most is Ooh. lately uh I think it's my friend Oz Neve and mm -hmm. she's a singer songwriter and her stuff is called Bedouin um I'm actually going on tour with her in like a week in Europe uh but truly like she's one of my best friends but also is an incredible songwriter um you really need to look her up. She just put out her second record. She's basically like the next Nora Jones, but like better. Like she's incredible. So I've just been listening to her nonstop. So yeah. Uh, a little uh, fun fact about Nada. She used to have a music blog that was super popular <laughs> called Friends with Both Arms. Like so <laughs> many years ago. Many years ago. But it was a thing. You're, you're very in the music world. Um, the place I traveled to that I loved the most was? I also feel like I should have said my boyfriend's music, but <laughs> yeah, given. local natives, look them up. Uh, <laughs> they have a really great new album out. They do. Yeah, it's incredible. Mm -hmm. They're going to be on Ellen September 16th. No big yes. deal. Um, <laughs> uh, place I visited? Yeah, the place that you love the most. Oh my gosh. That I've traveled to that I love the most. Whatever came to you first. Hmm. I think I had a really strong response to Greece. We all went to Greece this summer, a big group of us, and we went to this island called Hydra, which is where Leonard Cohen lived. Oh. And um it's a, a really tiny island. There's no cars. There's just um, donkeys. <laughs> yeah. And it was beautiful. And it was really inspiring. Like I could see myself just like holding up there for three months writing. It was really gorgeous. Yeah. Amazing. Um, my favorite book is? Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm just going to go with the first book that like hit me in the guts which was Miranda July's collection of short stories called No One Belongs Here More Than You. Mm. Um, she really redefined fiction for me. And I just, I think I've read that book like a hundred times, but her capacity for vulnerability, humor, darkness, I just have never read anyone like her and I really like that she's a multidisciplinary artist she's also like a director um she's an author um she's a performance artist and I really like artists who are sort of outside of the fold and they really don't they're not they don't there's no convention they're just sort of like this is my true art and I'm going to express it through x medium you know, yeah. and there's something really special about that because I think a lot of people try to emulate the greats and mm. they, the classics, but she is sort of in this group of female contemporary writers who are really kind of disrupting that. And it's really freeing as a woman to read, to read that kind of work. So, yeah. I love that. Nature is. <sighs> grounding I think as a writer you spend so much time in your head and you also spend so much time on the screen so the work that you make is not tangible it's mm -hmm. digital and it, you feel 
not real after a while. You're like, you know, what am I tethered to? And so sometimes I'll just like go barefoot in my yard and just stand in the grass and be like, I belong to all of this. And nature is just so powerful. And I think healing for me, um, to just be in it. It's so the antithesis of like my phone and my computer. So yeah. I love that. Um, writing to me is. Hmm. Writing to me is revelatory. I think writing reveals things you didn't even know about yourself just mm-hmm. through the process of getting it out in words. Um, things are revealed to you and it's like your subconscious trying to speak to you. I think it's a way of like processing all of your stuff and just visualizing it on the page. It's just been so helpful to, to just like have a check-in with where I'm at by what I'm writing and how I'm writing. Mm, I love that. And the last question is love is? Love is being seen. I think that the early stages of love – are about how well you can perform oftentimes and it can feel like a really inauthentic um, place. But I do think it's, you know, really romantic and really exciting. But I think true love is being seen and seeing another person for who they really are. Um, If you're lucky enough to get to that place with someone else, it feels really safe and really good and connected. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, it's just there there's there's nothing else like it. Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you, sister. Thank I feel you. like this has been 30 years in the making <laughs> since our first podcast episode together. I know. Really <laughs> um full circle. full circle, but I'm just I'm really grateful that uh we were able to do this and see each other especially after this transformative week. And that we're constantly able to just um, have these deep conversations with each other and have each other's backs, mm-hmm. you know? So thank you for being on my podcast. It means so much to me. Oh, and where can people find you? Probably just like my website. It's just nataalec.com. Um, Same for all my socials. It's just my name. Yeah. yeah. And if anyone's in Europe, you're going to be on tour with uh, Bedouin. Bedouin. So if you go to the Bedouin website, you'll be able to see the tour dates in Europe. And if you're over in Europe, go go check them out. Go to a show. All right. Thanks, sis. <laughs>